Good morning. You're so welcome. If you are a guest or a visitor, we are uh, thrilled that you're here. We hope you feel at ease and at home if we haven't met before. My name's Andy. I'm part of the team here. I want to just uh, talk really quickly about uh, tribes uh, that kick off again this week. Tribes are really the place where we stay small as we grow. Um, some of you maybe have been coming for a while and you will notice that this isn't really the best environment to actually get to know people. Sure, you know, there's maybe that awkward moment. Any of you like suddenly get a really important text message whenever somebody up here says, uh, just say hi to somebody sitting around you. Um, that's my thing when I go to these types of things. I'm like, I flipping hate that. I'm like, oh no, something really important is happening right here, you know. Um, anyway, we're really aware this is not a great environment for you to connect to new people and all that sort of stuff as much as we try to make it as welcoming as we can. But tribes are where we get actually around, uh, move from rows into circles. We gather in homes. Uh, we build friendships, share food. Um, talk about what's going on in our lives. And I just want to say, wherever you are in your faith journey, you know, if you walked in this morning and were half expecting to explode in flames because you haven't been to church in like 20 years, it's amazing people say that to me when I invite them to church and they don't come very often. They're like, I would go on fire if I went into church. Like, really? Spontaneous combustion in people? That's weird. But anyway, uh, wherever you are in your faith journey, uh, tribes are for you. Uh, there is space for questions. We do not expect you to have everything together. In fact, um, this is great community to have nothing together. And uh, we work really hard at not trying to present. And if any of you think, just because I get up here, my life's all in order, you're very wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, so tribes are brilliant. Uh, space for you to connect, uh, grow in friendship, relationship, pray together, talk about what we're doing here. And you can find all the information out on the website, you'll find one hopefully near you or a time that suits. Um, I accidentally in the 9.45 said, uh, I promise you'll have an amazing time. The reality is some people in this community are weird, so I can't promise you that. Um, but it is okay to move tribes. So if you go to a tribe and find out they're all weird, go to another one. Um, I promise you'll find one where there are some people who aren't weird somewhere if you try enough of them. Um, anyway, So we're finishing a series uh, we've been doing this January called Tables. We've been talking over the past month about how routine meals can actually become kingdom moments, that it can be in the middle of our ordinary lives that God actually breaks in. Just wave at me if you love a good feed. Yeah, you're not really from here if you don't, right? Like that's part of what it means to be from Northern Ireland, you love a good feed. Apparently so did Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, there are over 50 references to food. Luke's message is, if you want to be more like Jesus, eat more. Some of you are like, yes, I've been like battling a diet since January. And see, the reason it's not working is because you're walking the opposite direction from God. You know, you want to be more like Jesus, just eat more food. Um, I'm kidding. That's not really what I think Luke is getting at. Um, Let me ask you a question. Like, just imagine for a minute, for those of you maybe who have been following Jesus for a long time, um, just suspend that for a second. Imagine that, that you're not. And for those of you who maybe haven't yet connected to God or don't think you're connected to God, what do you think it would look like for God to enter your life? Like, what do you think would, would happen if, like, God arrived in your life? I think sometimes we can be guilty of thinking, like, if God was going to come into our life, it would be to a, a fanfare of, like, angelic trumpets, you know, like the, the sky would split and like you would be arrested and you would have this kind of 
I am God moment, you know? Or, or maybe you'd get like you'd wake up some morning to like a postcard through your door of some sort of like heavenly scene and on the back of it it would say, dear, whatever your name is, I am God and I'm moving in. You know, it'd be really dramatic and really unmissable and you'd be like phoning everybody going, God just like moved into my life and it was the most dramatic and incredible thing ever. And the reality is there are some of us who that is our story. But when I listen to people reflect on actually their journey with Jesus, more often than not, our beginnings of a relationship with God are really ordinary. And they happen in ways that can almost be missed. A smile of a stranger walking down the street, a random act of kindness, the gift of a friend, these moments where we feel like we're connecting to someone or something much bigger than ourselves. And the dangerous game that God plays with us is that for, for many of us, actually, we've been bumping into God for years and we haven't even noticed. We haven't even noticed. All of the spiritual giants that I've had the privilege to meet or build friendship with and some of whom I have read about, I noticed that they all have something in common. It's not, you see, that they live in some sort of ecstatic state of euphoric faith, never doubting anything, on their knees, praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That doesn't seem to be the consistent picture I notice with those that walk intimately with Jesus. No, rather they have learned how to welcome Jesus, not into the extraordinary, but into the vacuuming and the banking and the nappy changing and the cooking and the thinking and the playing. The, the spiritual giants that I have known have cracked this incredible thing where they've realized that Jesus wants to be present with us in the midst of our ordinary. On a mountain bike rattling down a hill or in a coffee shop sitting, talking nonsense with a friend. We can get so caught up with thinking that God's only interested in these dramatic, ecstatic, faith-filled moments. And of course he is, but the reality is most of our lives just feel way more ordinary. Maybe that's just me. And Jesus longs to be with us in that space, not just in the incredible, but in the mundane and the ordinary. This whole series has been about us learning how to engage with the presence of Jesus in the midst of our ordinary lives. And we're up, finishing up this morning looking at the story of Zacchaeus. Wave at me if you know the story of Zacchaeus. No pressure. Wave at me if you know the song. Some of you are like, I'm just going to lie. <laughs> Definitely don't know the song. You see, Zacchaeus was a very little man. And a very little man was he, right? Actually, when I was writing this, I thought, I wonder if she should sing. And then I was thinking about singing, and then I saw you all and thought, there's no way I'm singing. 
I will rap instead, which actually I have a history of, but that's a whole other, it's a whole other story. <laughs> no way. Um, yeah. I have this thing, sometimes when I get up here, where like things come out of my mouth I don't mean to say. And so I'm like absolutely shutting down anything else about my history as a rapper. Um, you see, one of the problems with stories that we're really familiar with, like if you had a grandparent that like, you know, dragged you along to Sunday school or something like that, and you know, you've heard the song and you're really familiar with this story of cute wee Zacchaeus climbing up a tree so that he could see Jesus, is that the familiarity with the story can lead us to completely missing the point of what was actually going on. See, whenever, whenever I was little and grandparents took me along to church and, you know, you're learning the song and it's all really sweet and cute and, like, if you'd kind of grabbed my seven-year-old self and said, what's the point of the story of Zacchaeus? I said, I don't know, like God loves short people? Or what was quite comforting for me was that, you know, like God obviously endorses tree climbing. Like that's, that's, that's a good thing. I used to love climbing trees. Like I loved climbing trees. We actually went on a walk to Castle Well whenever I was small, seven or eight, and there was a tree over by the lake, and I was looking at it going, oh, that tree would be amazing to climb. So we went and climbed the tree, and then my parents were like, right, it's time to go for the walk. And uh, this was quite common for me then. Sometimes now where like I, I do something and haven't thought it completely through. So I'm now in the tree thinking, I have no idea how to get down. So my parents were getting increasingly frustrated. Get out of that flipping tree. We're going on a walk. And I had to say, I don't actually know how to get out. And so my dad came over and helped me get out of the tree. And then I like, you know, looked at the tree again and thought, oh, there's a branch over there. I didn't see that branch. I bet you I could get down now. And so I climbed the tree again. And um, yeah, I couldn't get down again. And my parents had this kind of motto growing up that good lessons are hard learnt. So they went on a walk and left me in the tree. (laughs) Anyway, um, but God obviously, if we're taking this story quite literally, God obviously encourages tree climbing, right? That's the point of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus can be summarized in God loves short people and God loves people who climb trees, right? Well, of course not, right? That's just a little bit silly, but our application, if you want to get like really, you know, spiritual and theological about the story of Zacchaeus, really where you go is actually the point of this story is if you're serious about Jesus, don't let anything get in your way, not even your height. But actually, that's really not what's going on either. When you understand this story and the context, what you find is Something much more provocative, dangerous, maybe even offensive. Verse 2 says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. That's not just like, you know, a bit of career detail on Zacchaeus. That's insight that places you in a bit of a crazy moment. You see, every society on earth has a moral hierarchy. Kind of the people that, are, that society decides are okay to hate. Of course, we would never use that language, but you notice when you stand in judgment over certain people that no one will correct you. In fact, at times, it will be encouraged. First century Israel 
is where we find this story. And there are two kinds of people that occupy the lowest rungs of the moral ladder. Tax collectors and prostitutes. They, in this culture and society, are the lowest of the low. Now, for any of you who are familiar with the Gospels, you will know that Jesus was notorious for spending time with two types of people. Tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, for me, when, when I read that, it kind of encourages the slightly rascally, rebellious part of me. You know, that like Jesus was so anti-establishment and so cool. You know, he was like, you're all going that way. Well, I'm going this way. You all think they're idiots. Well, I'm going to go and stand with them and I'm going to be with them. I'm going to provoke all of your religious elitism and all of your structures and flip everything upside down and make everyone go, what is going on? Who is this guy? And it's really inspiring and cool and risky and edgy and all of that kind of stuff until you translate it into today. Who occupies the lowest rungs of our moral ladder? Probably, my guess would be pedophiles and Islamic terrorists, maybe. The ones that nobody's ever going to challenge you when you hold contempt for. In fact, like if you were to even talk and anyway graciously towards those kind of people it's like that's how who are you that's how this culture would have viewed Zacchaeus Zacchaeus literally made his fortune by exploiting and cheating his neighbors out of their hard-earned money, if necessary, at the tip of a Roman sword, foreign occupier. And as he continued to do this, he amassed more and more and more wealth. More money, more stuff, his house got bigger, more... And all the while doing it at the expense of his community. He would have been utterly despised. Quite likely the only people he could get to his table to socialize with him were those he paid. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must Stay at your house today. This is another one of those moments where Jesus like crosses cultural boundaries. In fact, this cultural boundary is as true today, 2019 Northern Ireland, as it was first century Israel. He does something that none of us ever do. And if someone does it, we're like, oh, that's weird. You're not allowed to do that. What does he do? He invites himself over for dinner. Ever had someone invite themselves over for dinner? I mean, you can just about get away with it with your mum. Maybe. Even sometimes that can be risky. Right? I love how in Northern Ireland, though, we have like, got around that in another way, right? Where we just show up. Like, like it would be wrong to invite yourself over, but it's, it's not wrong to just arrive. Right? Well, that nearly broke my wife's brain whenever we moved here. Ten years ago from America, 
particularly with my mum, actually, you know, when she arrived and would open the door and stand there and go, oh, hello. I'd be like, get out of the way, she needs to come in. <laughs> Ten years later, she's culturally translated. We've moved to Dramara, and actually she laments now the fact that people don't just pop by because it feels like a trek to get out there for some of us. But anyway, Jesus, like, invites himself over. I love this. Because Jesus is not like us. He won't just show up uninvited. He will come to us gently and say, you mind if I come over? Can I, can I come to your house? Can I come into your life? Renault McDonald, not to guess anymore. <laughs> Jesus will look at your marriage, your friendships, your work, the street that you live in, the city, the region that we call home. And he won't just take over. He'll say, hey, can I, can I come in there? Can I, can I talk to you about that? And the bit that wrecks me is that if you say no, he says, fine. I'd rather not today, Jesus. Okay. But it's interesting when you reflect and listen to your life that he'll come back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I know last week you said you didn't want me to come in, but do you want me to come over this week? Would that work for you? I know you actually weren't interested in me being involved in your marriage last month, but, you know, do you, want, do you want me to get involved this month? No? Okay, no problem. He's utterly, he's utterly relentless, but incredibly respectful. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus. Imagine the moment, the socially despised, desperate man just in a tree, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And instead of getting a glimpse, he gets his gaze. Jesus stops and looks up. Like, minor detail here, but it's kind of important to understand this. For a Jewish man, like an adult, and when was the last time you saw an adult climb a tree? Right? I kind of do it with my kids sometimes, but like, not if there are other adults around, then it's just like, what is that guy doing? <laughs> this would have been utterly humiliating for Zacchaeus to climb the tree. Childish. And in that moment, Jesus looks up at him. Like the, I'm sure for Zacchaeus, the earth stood still. This is the holy man, right? This is the one everyone's trying to get around. Teaching the scriptures with an authority none of them have ever heard or seen before. You can imagine Zacchaeus' panic. Ever get that way around, like slightly more prophetic people? You're like, they're going to tell me everything I do that's wrong. Here's Jesus looking at the guy 
who's spent his entire life cheating, exploiting, robbing his community up to his neck in mess. Like you'd be prepared, wouldn't you, for like the wrath of God, judgment. Who do you think you are as a case? How dare you do this to my people? You can imagine his grip on the branches tightening as he realized Jesus is staring right at him. And he doesn't get judgment. He gets, can I come for dinner? It's amazing. What kind of God? What kind of man? Can I come for dinner? Verse 6, so he came down and welcomed him gladly. Like you can imagine, he's like, okay, that went slightly better than I was expecting. Sure, come on over. What is the point? We so often misunderstand this. We think that it is our job to find God and how wrong we are. The story of the gospel, the story of Zacchaeus, helps us see the truth that we don't find God. He finds us. He finds us. It's funny that, you know, you ever hear that, like, talked about people? You know, like, so-and-so found religion. You know, or they found God. And if you really listen to anybody that that walks with Jesus, it's, it's not really their story. There's story is, there was a time when God found me. And sure, I've been varying degrees of mess ever since, but my life has never been the same. God found me. Some of you will know the late, great Eugene Peterson. He's the guy that, that translated the entire Bible into what's known now as the message translation. Sold over 20 million copies around the world. He also penned more than 30 other books, pastored a small church in Maryland in America for uh, over 30 years, and he passed away uh, just before Christmas, a hero to so many of us that do, uh, I guess, my job. Listen to what his son said of him at his funeral. He said, it's almost laughable how you fooled them, talking of his dad. How for 30 years, every week, you made them think you were saying something new. They thought you were a magician in your long black robe, hiding so much in your ample sleeves, always pulling something fresh and making them think it was just for them. They didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret. For 50 years, you'd steal into my room at night And whisper softly to my sleeping head the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Fifty years, this man would sneak in to the bedroom of his sleeping son and whisper in his ear, God loves you. 
He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Just beautiful. We don't find God. He finds us. Verse 7, all the people begin to mutter. I got to watch Home Alone with my kids for the first time. They just about got old enough to make it okay. I'm still not sure it was totally okay, but it was fun. They all begin to mutter. Do you remember that moment, Joe Pesky's character, you know, where like every time Macaulay Culkin does something, he's like... All these people that have been carefully curating their lives, trying to create some false semblance of control so that if God one day showed up, they would be found to be in the right. Have you ever had grandparents say that to you? You know, like if, if God showed up, would you be okay with where you were and what you were doing? Like the case is the opposite, right? And all these people have been carefully curating their lives in case that moment happens and then it happens and Jesus goes to the other guy and they all begin to mutter and grumble and how can this be? How can the holy man want to spend time with that guy? Like we all know we're supposed to hate that guy. How can, how can this be? There is a myth in our culture that sounds something like this. There are good people and there are bad people. Some of you right now are going, yeah, that's totally true. And we are the good ones. And the people that do the stuff that you're not supposed to do, well, they are the bad ones. It's a really unhelpful and unhealthy way to look at the world. Namely because it's not true. Just pay attention to what goes on when somebody says the wrong thing on Twitter or does the wrong thing in a meeting. You ever notice this? There's no such thing as a mistake anymore. Like that's like a revelation of your corrupt character and soul and we will pay for blood until you lose your job. Until you have been humiliated in public and even if you have apologized, you will never be welcomed back into any sort of sense of public attention or success. Just look at our political mess at the minute and you see this so clearly. Gone are the days when politics was about the war of ideas and ideals. You know, there used to be a time when politicians could literally tear strips off each other in a debating chamber, debating policy and ideas. And then go for a drink afterwards. Kind of rare now. If you dare voice an opinion or a position on something that somebody else doesn't hold, then you're bad. Or they're bad. You disagree with somebody and, well, you're obviously evil because you think this about things. Or they're obviously evil because they think that about things. But when you pay attention to your own life, you notice that your life is full of light and shade. And so is everyone else's. 
our lives have good and they have bad. Things make a bit more sense, move back to a slightly more mature middle when we can engage culture, society, our friends, other people's opinions in that way. We know that there are parts of our lives, our thoughts, our attitudes, our behavior, that if they were exposed in public, we'd be humiliated. We know deep within us somewhere that if we are responsible for our own salvation, then we are doomed. We don't live there very much. We certainly don't reflect on this kind of thing often. It's much easier to live in the black and white world, the good and the bad. Let me ask you a question. Where in your life do you need forgiveness? Where in your life do you need forgiveness? I'm not talking about some grand mess you've made. might be that. But there are moments, attitudes, thoughts, responses, things that like, when we slow down long enough, we go, oh, that wasn't good. Where in your life do you need forgiveness? And what if it was available? Like really available? You see, God comes for us. And he comes to free us and forgive us. You see, so often this job that I do and people like me, the assumption can be that this whole message is about judgment. Where are you going to go when you die? The judgment of God makes no sense if it's not seen through the lens of the forgiveness of God. Hyped up, imposed, I am God and you are doomed moment. It's another word for accountability. Moment where we're called to account for our lives. But don't fear or fret. Because that moment comes after the entire New Testament with the revelation of the radical, extravagant, outrageous love, grace, and forgiveness of God for the entire world, available for you and available for me. God comes to forgive us and to free us. I have a friend who had a friend who, um, let's say his life was like full to the brim of like the wrong kind of good living, if that makes sense. Parties, substance abuse, whatever was going, he was involved in, and he was loving it, you know? And he was in South Africa on holidays, and he fell off some rocks, cut his leg open, fell into the ocean. He's lying in the ocean, and um, he had that moment that like some of us have nightmares about, lying in the sea, bleeding out his leg, and he sees a fin in the water. And he, like, pure adrenaline, starts to panic, is, like, trying to splash his way to get back and find somehow to get out of the sea. And he was processing this with, with my friend. He, made it, he didn't get eaten. He was like, this is a terrible story. 
But in between the like seeing the shark and getting out of the water, he found himself lying on his back, looking at the sky, and this thing erupted out of him where he just found himself screaming at the sky, I'm so effing sorry. Out of nowhere, this awareness of a deep need to be forgiven. That's what happens to Zacchaeus when Jesus says, can I come over? Overwhelmed by the grace and forgiveness of God, completely and utterly, let's just assume for a moment that we are all really, you know, upstanding individuals who never do anything wrong, right? Zacchaeus deserves all of the judgment that God has got. And yet he gets, can I come over? Experiences that radical, radical forgiveness. See, God's forgiveness is offensive until it's pointed at you. It's forgiveness, it's, it's offensive. You really get it and really see how it works. It's offensive. Until, of course, it's pointed at you. And watch what happens, right? Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is just staggering, and yet it's entirely predictable. We talked about this at the end last week, that the only thing that can move us from this to this is an experience of the generosity and grace of God. When God's grace moves into our lives, things move out, namely greed. Zacchaeus' starting point is to give away half of his possessions to the poor. Like he just gets it. Some of you, if you've been around here for a while, will know that we teach tithing. That's giving like minimum of 10% of what we've got to God. It's so funny. I love this. This isn't Zacchaeus going, right, okay, 10%. Okay, so I'm going to give 2% to uh, this thing over here, and I'll give 3% to maybe the church, and, you know, where's that? Five, I'll give another 25 to this, where we've got 25 left and 25 over there. 10%. Great, done. It's amazing. Zacchaeus experiences the grace of God, and he goes, half of what I have. Just take that. Give it to the poor right now. And then he says something really interesting. He says, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay them back four times. The reality is the case cheated everyone. Everyone was cheated by Zacchaeus. And he pays them back four times what he took. See, I love this. You cannot just effort your way in relationship with God. It is a work of grace that when we really get that God sees all of the stuff that we're ashamed of and says, can I come over? It, it's, you're, you're, it's like, wow, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. And like, you know, some of you right now are going, yeah, you don't know, Andy. I know, I know what you're saying, but you don't know. Like it's messy. Yeah. 
And he says, how about I come for dinner? How about I come hang out with you? How about you let me tell you that I love you? It's the only way we change. See, any gospel that is presented with its roots in fear it perverts the character and nature of God and will not sustain you. What do I mean by that? Anybody that says, come to Jesus or you'll go to hell, doesn't work. You get religion. And you'll end up bitter and twisted and slightly cynical, even if you're really good at keeping a lockdown on it. Offensive, even. He really is that good. God is coming for you. His forgiveness is offensive until it's pointed at you, and his grace breaks the power of greed in our lives. So much more than God loves short people and tree climbing is okay. This is the story of Zacchaeus. It's actually all of our story if we're honest. We're going to finish this morning uh, sharing communion together. I'm going to invite the band back up as we do this. And um, maybe this morning is one of those moments where you need to stop all the trying or all the like, it's a proper party back there this morning. You need to stop all the, the trying and the effort or the like ignoring of whatever some of that stuff is. And maybe this morning as we share communion together, you need to allow God to find you. Do you ever notice when you play chases with small kids that actually the whole point of the game is that they get caught they love the moment where they get caught sure they get a little bit older and then that changes and they actually probably hide and make fun of you when you can't catch them we're just on the cusp of that but I remember when particularly my twins were like two and three and they're favorite thing in the world was to run away from me but just far enough or close enough that I could get them and then they have that moment that's just the most beautiful thing ever and then they look at you and go again and down they go off they go and then you get them and it happens all over again beautiful picture of the gospel God longs to find us maybe you've been running for a while maybe you've just been running for a couple of days maybe you've been running your entire life and this morning there's a moment for you to allow God to catch you lavish his forgiveness and his grace upon you. If you're able, will you stand? There's going to be communion tables here and here. If you are moving toward Jesus, I don't care where your starting point. You could be like, Andy, I'm like negative 50 right now. Zero is like, meet Jesus 
positive numbers are like maturity in Jesus. You're like, I'm like. But if today you're saying I'm negative 50, but I think I'm moving towards negative 40. You're welcome at this table. If you're moving towards Jesus, you're welcome at this table. As we remember together what he accomplished for us that we would know his friendship in the midst of our ordinary lives we'd know his love his forgiveness and his grace I'm going to pray and then encourage you just to come and respond and share communion together Holy Spirit we invite you now come fall upon us freshly Father, I pray that this would be a moment where we get found. Come and find us. In the midst of whatever's going on in our lives, would you come and find us? Come and forgive us. Come and fill us with your grace.